So our reading is from First Peter, verses 1 to 12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's select exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to God the Father, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new breath into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled, and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you set intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the suffering of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. Thank you. Thank you. Very well read. And uh, let's uh, keep that open, if we could. And uh, let me lead in prayer. I think I'm on, aren't I? I am. Great, let's pray. Lord, uh, we've uh, just read from your word and we have uh, sung in prayer. Uh, Open the eyes of our hearts to see you. And so we pray that we would know you better because we've read the Bible this morning. We pray that we would have hearts and sort of spiritual eyes to see that we might know your purposes for us as individuals and as a church body. And we pray that we might walk in those purposes in the coming week. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A man uh, back in uh, the 18th century, a man called Henry Venn, was a Church of England vicar. And uh, he was right at the end of his life and the doctor came to him and said, Mr. Venn, I think you're, you know, you've only got a day or so uh, until the end. Uh, Henry Venn was so excited by the news that he lived for another fortnight. 
Um, and uh, if those of you who visited Pat in the nursing home will see a little measure of that. That as, since the doctors have told her you're at the end, it could be you know weeks. That was a couple of months ago. Uh, she's been very bright and positive and, and sort of future focused. I was uh, hearing from uh, one of our visitors this morning who's uh, got someone who's come all the way from Colorado for church this morning, so that's exciting. And he was just sharing that uh, in America that uh, Barbara Bush, as she neared the end, exactly the same. She was really looking forward to the end. That is the transforming power of knowing that God has the future totally sort it out, and you've got a part in it. That is the transforming power of knowing the resurrection of Jesus applies to you too. And that's going to be our theme this morning, the church of the resurrection. That's what we are, folks. That's what God has called us into, to be the church of the resurrection. We're going to focus on 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 particularly. We're going to pick out three things there as a way of kind of accessing this really rich um, beginning to this letter. God makes us new. God gives us certain hope. And God inspires joy and praise. That's what we're going to focus on. Verse 3, if you look down, it starts with this outpouring of praise to God and we're going to save that till last because the rest of the passage will give us the reasons for that praise the first of them is that God makes us new uh, will you look with me at the way God uh, sorry the way Peter well under God uh, speaks about these Christians that he's writing to uh, in verse 1 uh, they're God's elect he calls them uh, selected by him, chosen by him. You remember those uh, times at school, you know, they're picking the teams and you get the captains, the two people who are best at whatever game you're playing and they pick you and you're just thinking if you're like me and you're sort of, you enjoy sport but you're not particularly good at it, you're at the end and you're thinking, oh please pick me, don't let me be last, don't be last. And then they, they do and you say, it's great and you kind of swell up with, oh you've chosen me, brilliant, I'm on your team, that's fantastic, we're going to win, we're going to win. Um, and And that's how God has created the church. He has chosen people like us, ordinary people, and said, be part of my family, be part of my people, my church. I want you. That's the good message of salvation to you and to me. Verse 3, he gives us new birth. Not just a new start, you know, another chance, new leaf in the book. A new life, a new start, new people we become, a new identity because of Jesus and what Jesus has done being applied to us. I hope you realise that. I don't know whether you do, though. Do you realise that the Christian life is not about us trying to um, achieve something so that God will be pleased with us? It's not us trying to do certain things which God requires so that God will say, you're all right, all right, I'll accept you. It's the other way around. It all starts not with us doing stuff, but with God at work. God choosing, electing, making people new, giving new birth. That's what it's saying here, isn't it? It's actually all about him choosing to do that. So if you're a Christian this morning, do you appreciate the privilege of that? I guess I did a fresh way as I was preparing this. I thought, yeah, Lord, I don't, I don't always remember that. In the way. I, mean, I, 
I don't remember that on an average day. But I should do, because what a privilege to be accepted by God, to be part of his family forever, to be given new birth, to have the work of God within us. What a privilege. And if you're not yet a Christian, you're still looking into these things. Can you see, just from these little verses that we've looked at so far, that Christianity is not about something achieving something. It's not about um, getting into God's good books by sort of working in some way. It's God who does the work, making us new people. I guess our situation with God is a little like um, when people arrive in a country as uh, asylum seekers, genuine asylum seekers. And there's been a lot of that in the news in recent years and um, because there's been a lot of war in the world. I mean, the Syrians are, you know, I mean, goodness me, um, it's still not over, is it? And people who've, who've fled that conflict and they've taken extraordinary risks and they arrive and they're seeking a new start, a new identity, a new status as citizens of a new country. Now, if you arrive as a refugee, and I mean, that's, it's obvious from the news, you don't have any rights in the new country that you've arrived in, other than the rights that are given to you. That's what it is to be a refugee. You arrive, and you're appealing to the mercy of the country where you've arrived. And when that country is merciful, then people do receive the new style that they seek and a new citizenship and all the rest of it. And that's obviously a very big issue for this nation, isn't it? With the sort of post-Brexit for what's been in the news this week about a slightly different but parallel issue of how the children of immigrants have been... uh, Sorry, of those... Sorry, wrong word. Uh, It's not in my notes. The children of the Windrush generation, they were already British citizens when they came. That's exactly the issue. Um, and uh, so there's n- it's not an issue of immigration it's an issue of uh, racism which has come out in the uh, and, and also just administrative incompetence but, but more than anything else it's a heart issue do you see? That's, that's the thing that's come out from this discussion that's been in the news this last week for the Windrush generation it's the same issue for Uh, whether we welcome refugees. It's a heart issue for us as a nation. Are we merciful? Are we treating our fellow human beings as fellow human beings that need our help? Or are we more concerned about other things like economic prosperity? That's the issue. And what do we find when when we're using... Sorry, I got muddled up in my analogy. Um... But the point of the analogy is, what do we find when, we, when it's God who we go to for mercy? What, when we go to him with no rights, with no status? Well, it's there in verse 3, isn't it? God gives us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Why does he do it? Verse 3, in his great mercy... That's what we find when we meet God. When we go to him, not saying, listen God, you you, you owe me, but God, I've come to you. I'm like like an asylum seeker fleeing, not from uh, conflict, but actually from something much worse, from sin and death and hell. I've come to you, I, I I haven't got any rights. Will you accept me? Will you receive me? 
verse 3, in his great mercy. That's the heart of God. It needs to be the heart of our nation. It used to be much more so as we reflected the heart of God. But that's the heart of God. If you approach God thinking, well, I'm the one with the choice to make here, God, you know, I'd be doing a real favour if I committed myself to church, wouldn't I? Because, you know, you'd have more numbers then. And, um, you know, um, I've just got to decide, I've just got to choose. Am I going to do that? Yeah, I'm not really sure. It's not us who hold the cards. It's not us with the choices. God doesn't need us. We desperately need him. And it's his choice. He chooses people. And so we come to him saying, I want to receive your mercy. Now that's not a perfect picture of the way we come back to God, but it's not bad that we come like asylum seekers. We don't have a passport, but we get a new one. We're citizens now of heaven. So you're already a dual citizen, or maybe a triple citizen, if you're a citizen of, Elsie was saying me, she's a a citizen of the US and of the UK, uh, but also of heaven. So she's a triple citizen. Uh, others might be uh, uh, two or three or but the citizenship that really counts the one that lasts forever is the invisible passport that says I belong to Jesus Christ I'm part of the family of God I'm part of the church of the resurrection Uh, verse 2 we're sanctified, set apart, we're his now there's a new purpose there's obedience to Christ now as well We live now for what God wants for us and for what God wants for our lives because we trust that it's good. And knowing also from verse 2 that we're sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. It's an Old Testament picture of being cleansed by a sacrifice. His sacrifice deals with our sin in the past, in the present, in the future. It's all dealt with by the suffering of the Son of God, the Messiah, in our place. To be a Christian is a stunning privilege. To be accepted by God in that way. But it doesn't look like it from the outside. And this is the thing about being a Christian. If you look at the way the people, who Peter's writing to in verse 1, look at the way they're described, they're um, exiles. They haven't got a homeland. They're scattered among all these different peoples of the ancient world. Uh, Peter's writing to uh, little groups, churches, here and there, just like ours in North Kensington. They're they're exiles, strangers in the world. They're they're different because God's at work in their lives. That's the issue. And now, what does it mean to be a Christian, verse 6? It means having to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, it says. God's given them new birth, he's made them new people, it's wonderful to know him, but they're going to face persecution in the ancient world, possibly death, as Christians were put to death for their faith. Just as Christians are facing those kind of levels of intense persecution in some countries in the world today. And so Peter has written this letter, he explains at the end, to testify to them, listen, you are experiencing the true grace of God. See, if you're under that kind of pressure, then you will start to think, oh gosh, have I got this right? Have I got this terribly wrong, this Christian thing? Or is it right to follow this message about Jesus? But Peter says, yes, it is right. Because if you think about Jesus himself, he suffered 
before he went to be with the Father in glory. When we follow him, it's going to be the same for us. And so if we are going to keep going as Christians, we need to know the second thing that Peter writes about here. God gives us, uh, he makes us new people. He makes us new, but he also gives us a certain hope. In verse 3, Peter calls it a living hope, something that transforms our lives now in the way that we thought about right at the beginning. It's not only for this life, it outlasts the grave. And he uses the picture here of an inheritance. And if you look at verse 4, it's brilliant. It's an inheritance kept in heaven that's more secure than Fort Knox or the Bank of England or anywhere else. Nothing can touch it. It won't wear out. It won't need replacing. It won't get ruined. And verse 5, it's not got G4S protecting it. Uh, Verse 5, it's shielded by God's power until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation that's ready to be revealed at the last time. I don't know whether anyone here has ever inherited a significant amount of money. Um, uh, My granny, when she died, she left me a little bit of money, and my sister too, which was wonderful and really, really, really sweet. But it's not a sort of life-changing amount. Um, uh, But imagine... Imagine, I don't know, either your parents, maybe you don't need to imagine, uh, maybe you have experienced that. Or, or imagine one of these super, super rich people that you were actually their, their daughter or their son. Uh, you know, Steve Gates or whatever. Um, and, um, I mean, he does have kids, so that's, I mean, it really is imagination. But imagine you were, and you were the only kid, and um, generous parents were going to leave everything to you when they passed well, that would be a pretty certain future, wouldn't it, financially? And it would also transform the present as well. Because you think, okay, if I'm going to be a squillionaire in, you know, 20 years' time, well, I can probably, you know, have a credit card now. That's probably going to be covered, isn't it? And I could probably enjoy life now. And, and so if you understood what that meant, then you would live differently in the light of it. Do you see? You wouldn't go through life worrying about money, would you? If you had that kind of inheritance lying ahead of you. You wouldn't say, oh gosh, I've really got to economise this month. You just wouldn't do that. Not, not, if you, not unless you've completely failed to understand your, the privilege that was yours and your situation. There would be plenty to enjoy now and a certain inheritance in the future. Imperfect analogy. But do you, do you see... That's the truth for you and me in the kingdom of God as the people of God. Not financially, but in terms of what matters most. Knowing God, knowing salvation, knowing the restoration of ourselves to be the people we ought to be, the forgiveness and cleansing of our sins so they're dealt with. Knowing God day by day in the nitty-gritty of life now and knowing that we're going to be with him face to face and like him one day. That is the inheritance You have. I have. If we put our faith in Jesus. And it's definitely going to happen. So the question for you and me is, if we've got this certain hope, do we live in the light of it? Um, All of us at different stages, particularly uh, if we include everyone in the uh, building, uh, some are in the uh, growing up stage, aren't they? Um... And uh, they'll be the growing up and the doing the GCSEs and the maybe going to university or getting their first job. They'll be the maybe getting married, maybe not. Uh, looking forward, finding somewhere to live. Maybe having kids, maybe not. 
getting another job, having a holiday. What comes after all of that? Well, there's retiring, isn't there? What comes after that? Death. What comes after that? Eternity. Yeah? That's your sort of future plan from naught to eternity. Eternity, either as our sin deserves, being separate from God there, or receiving his grace, being forgiven, being with him, enjoying the inheritance of being like him forever. That's what lies ahead of everyone in this room and everyone in the world. God gives his people a certain hope to be with him and to be like him forever, to enjoy the new heavens and the new earth with all that entails. So question for you and me, as we plan ahead, are we planning ahead with a certain hope in mind? Just like people, I know, they look forward to leaving home, don't they, or going to university or getting a job. They look forward to that. And they live now thinking, well, okay, in two years' time I can survive my parents for another two years because I'm going to go to university. Or they live looking forward to having children. It's great what we've got. Wouldn't it be great to have kids and to try for kids? Or they look forward to the children leaving home. Wouldn't it be great to get our house back? Wouldn't it be great to... Anyway. (laughs) Or they look forward to retirement. You know, I can survive this job for another five years because I'm going to retire. And then I'll have some time to myself again. We live today looking forward to what we think is coming in the future. We don't know what's coming in the future. None of those plans might work out. But we live today looking forward and planning for the future. So are we living now planning for God's future? The certain, the one certainty as we look ahead. I've said it before, but I don't know my future. I may well die a bachelor living in a bedsit in Balham and never getting further than Bognor for my holidays. I may. But if I'm trusting Jesus and keeping my faith in him, then everything that matters in this life I've discovered. And everything that matters for eternity I will inherit. And the same for you, whichever letter of the alphabet you choose for where you live and where you go on holiday. This B works quite well. But do you see, are we living, looking ahead to that future? Like Barbara Bush was. Like Henry Venn was. Like uh, Pat White is. Because God gives people certain hope. And if we are, it inspires joy and praise in us. Verse 3, I said it was the last. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And it's an incredibly long sentence. It goes on. It's wonderful. God inspires joy and praise. Because, well, being a Christian, it's costly in some ways, isn't it? It takes time out your diary. You don't live for yourself anymore. You live for God. You've got your relationship with him. It involves finance. Uh, and sacrifices there in the circumstances of one Peter and in other parts of the world today it means persecution but actually it's all about joy verse 7 talks about the way that even the persecution even the hard times refine our faith they, they help us to realise what's really important that our faith is actually of greater worth than gold than all the money in the world 
And, and the point we get to in verse 8 is as we realise that, we're filled with, a, with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Even in the midst of really hard things in life. And that's what it is to know God, to know God now in our lives. We find that we start to love him, even though we don't see him. We realise that, gosh, he's saved us, and he is, all this awaits ahead of us, and wow, thank you, Lord. And we know a joy that doesn't come from our circumstances. So you can know joy in a hospital bed or joy in the midst of a really tough period of life where nothing seems to be working in what your, your, your plans are. They're not working and, you're, and yet you know God with you. And it describes it as an inexpressible joy, um, not meaning we can't say anything about it, just meaning we can't quite, yeah, quite find the right words to say what it is to know God within us and with us. There's always more to say. And so it is, to, to know God is the greatest joy in this life. And so we praise him. It's one of the key things we do. It's one of the key things that we gather to do week by week. Is to be a church where we gather to praise him. We gather to encourage. We gather to say thank you. We gather to praise him for, for who he is, his beauty, his majesty. We gather to praise him for all he's done for us receiving us like asylum seekers with no rights in the kingdom of heaven but granted citizenship and new birth to be with him forever. Have you ever worked out the, the way that praise works in life? The purpose of it in your life, in my life? Um, and you hear an incredible piece of music for the first time and something kind of rises up in you and you want to say something. Or, you, or you're, you're, you're with a friend on a beach with, with, a, with another half on a beach and you're watching this just awesome sunset. The sun's going down and the skies are blazed with so many different colours. And you want to say, wow, out loud. Have you seen that? Of course I've seen it. They're standing right next to you. But somehow putting it into words, praising it, speaking it out, completes your enjoyment of it. There's something, as you engage with something beautiful and amazing, you, you speak it and it, it does something within you. That it's a celebration that completes your enjoyment. And that's exactly what it is with the praise and worship of God. It's not because God needs it somehow. It's not kind of God stressing on a Saturday night thinking, gosh, I hope there's enough people in church tomorrow morning to praise me because otherwise I'll just feel really, really, really bad about my week. God doesn't need us. We need him. But as we discover that and as we praise him for who he is and all he's done for us, it might help us get through our week as we know him better, as we remember him. And it completes our enjoyment of him. You see, we are the church of the resurrection. God makes us new. God gives us certain hope. And so God inspires our joy and our praise. Amen.